the coolest community in freight. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the cold, coolest show in freight, but there is running on ice, a newsletter that could not be colder. You can subscribe to that on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. Today, we are joined by Dr. Cliff Glade and Dr. Bob DiLoretto. Welcome to the running. Welcome back to running on ice, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I know it's a little different this time. I'm not Sydney, but it's, we're going to have a good time today. Um, so I think you guys probably did it before, but let's hit it again. Uh, why don't you guys give us a, be- a brief rundown of your background and kind of how TC got started. Cliff, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, Thermal Custom Packaging, or TCP, uh, has been around for 15, 20 years. We started in the medical field because both Bob and I are doctors. Some of our clients are the largest nonprofit health cares in the United States, and they had an issue moving specimens, refrigerated, frozen, and ambient. When we started, things were done with dry ice and with canvas bags with styrofoam stuck in them. So we began under their request to build custom insulated lightweight totes to carry blood specimens, and we uh, formulated uh, product to maintain refrigerated, frozen, and ultra cold. With one of our clients alone, we would place 8,000 pounds of dry ice a day per laboratory. This one particular client does approximately 260,000 blood specimens every morning, and we provide the equipment that transports it. They were happy because we replaced all dry ice for liability reasons, for procurement reasons, for a multitude of reasons. Nobody wants to work with dry ice. It's toxic. And we've been doing that for 15 years. And this client has continued to grow, and we've grown with them. Um, our other clients are, are universities and, and uh, healthcare. And recently, within the last two years, we moved into evidence for law enforcement, temperature-sensitive evidence. Think about DNA, blood splatters, that kind of thing which is basically the same thing. It really doesn't matter to us what the product being moved is because all we need to know is what temperature it needs to be moved at. And finally, about a year or so ago, large uh, grocery chains got a hold of us because during the pandemic, people didn't want to go to the grocery chains and they were being requested to do home deliveries, which is what we refer to as a closed-loop delivery. So they have an insulated box and they deliver it to somebody's house and they pick it back up. The not the not the product, but the box and uh, the refrigerant. And they too didn't want to work with crabs. And we've been going through a multitude of tests and rollouts because both of the actually the three companies we're working with are all extremely large. One may be the largest grocery in the United States. One is number three. I'm not sure where the other one sits, but they they sit there are hundreds of billions of dollars. When the pandemic ended, things got a little slower in the home delivery, but they are extremely interested in replacing their model the same as healthcare did. But it it takes a little while to completely change over a system. Anyway, in any case, that's how we got started. So Bob and I are experts in transportation uh, of uh, of, uh, temperature 
hypersensitive substances. Well, what was happening, you know, in, in real world, what was happening is one of our clients that bases out of the West Coast, but is in all the United States, would buy 100,000 pounds of dry ice. They had problems procuring it. None of the management wanted to procure it. When it would get there, if weather came in on them, they'd end up with 10,000 pounds. And then people would get hurt and they'd have liability. And it just was, it was not hard convincing them. They came to me asking for help. Um, I didn't go to them with, with regards to that. So there's a need there. It doesn't mean there's not a need for dry ice. Matter of fact, regularly every day, we get email requests and I tell them your best solution is dry ice. It's much cheaper than our solution for what you're doing. The interesting thing, Mary, right now, and, and of course it was not planned by us or anybody else, is the, you know, the green deal, you know, the sustainability. Um, and everything that we use, all our products are all non-toxic. They're recyclable. In fact, the plastics probably made from recyclable stuff. Um, there's, there's, uh, it, it fits the model for, for large corporations that want to get entered carbon credits to, you know, to, to obviously recoup some of their losses, some of their losses. Uh, because what we have is, as Cliff mentioned, uh, is completely reusable and has been in use for it, it's the same company for 10, 15 or more more years. The products the, uh, are potentially refurbishable uh, if they want to go down that path. Uh, they're non-toxic. They, they're easy to clean. Uh, and uh, it 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 fits the model today, which was really not the reason for doing it. Yes, you know, yesterday. So it's it's just an interesting coincidence of what's happening with the world and the and the Green New Deal. That's one of the first things I thought of because. I'm a sustainability nerd at heart. So um, pretty much anyway, I know the dry ice will always have its, its time and its place. And, you know, it's it's never not going to be a thing. Um, but I just, I think it's great. Uh, anything that we can do to maybe cut that down or have some renewable things, but that's just sustainability nerd me talking. Um, but today we were going to get into a little bit more um, medically and sciencey. Uh, we were going to kind of jump into the liquid biopsy thing, which I think is personally really cool um but do you mind do you guys can you guys explain just the basic principles behind um a liquid biopsy and kind of what it you what it's used for and might how might how it might differ from traditional biopsy methods okay well a liquid biopsy are tests conducted on blood samples that examine biomarkers shed by tumors such as cancer cells or pieces of tumor dna Data from the liquid biopsy can be used in place of or alongside traditional surgical biopsies. So that's what a liquid biopsy is. Yeah, to me, it seems like a less invasive and maybe um, a little easier way to do some early detection cancer screenings and, um, you know, really just 
you know, get find the patient's health data without actually having to maybe cut into them or perform um, an unnecessary or maybe more invasive procedure. Um, so the you kind of touched on it a little bit when we were talking about dry eyes, but what is the main like issue? What's the hiccup that comes with transporting these biopsies and making sure that they stay at certain temperatures? And um, what kind of outcomes can come if you know they aren't kept at a certain temperature? Uh, well, just to, to back up a second, uh, Mary, the, the the component of liquid biopsies t- typically let's not let's not go down the screening path at least in the beginning. But from a patient that has has a cancer that's been treated, um, and a lot of them are in fairly inaccessible locations, um, and so to to check the status of that. Oftentimes it's CAT scans and PET scans, but it really doesn't get down to the minutia of, you know, small cells still, you know, still growing. Um, any of these cells, as Cliff mentioned, they're circulating tumor antibodies uh, and DNA that literally uh, can get picked up with a blood test. And that's essentially what a liquid biopsy is. So if you have somebody that's undergone treatment and you want to follow them uh, without having to reoperate or potentially re, you know, radiate them with with PET scans and uh, you know and, and other imaging techniques, these pa- protocols have been developed to follow these patients with sequential blood tests, i.e., liquid biopsies over X period of time looking at the changes, uh, potential changes in the circulating uh, cell cells uh, that can indicate there is nothing going on and you know, you're cured, hopefully, or there's a gradual increase. And then, then from that standpoint, these patients can be looked at, you know, closer and with potential regular biopsies or other imaging uh, tests to decide what other therapies need need to occur? So that's really the di- you know the difference between what medicine used to be and what medicine is going towards right now. The other caveat in this, and it and it isn't been worked out completely, are essentially a liquid biopsy being used in in a screening situation uh, in patients that are high risk. You know, unfortunately, this East Palestine. Thing that's going on right now in, in Ohio and, and other places where there's a chemical exposure or you're working in an asbestos plant or you're working in a, you know, uh, a fumes plant that potentially is going to call, you know, firefighters, you know, lung cancer and, you know, other things. Uh, they're being offered for the moment at, at either a freebie because of research or at a lower cost because they're not, uh, they're not, approved by the FDA for for reimbursement. Uh, But the issue is that there are false negatives and false positives. And that's just because it's it's an industry in its infancy, uh, but it will grow and it will get better. And the bottom line is that the whole package is much safer uh, from a management of a you know of a cancer to a patient rather than invasive type biopsies, and it probably will be you know penultimately the you know the way everything is handled, including the screening stuff. Um, there's some tests now. A test can can look for you know 
25, 30 different kinds of cancers. One test can, you know, can screen for all of those things. And again, it's not completely been validated, but I'm sure it will get, you know, give it some time. It is not going to go away because it's a very exciting way to, you know, to manage disease yeah, disease states that are that's non-invasive. Well, realize that the gold standard, Mary, is still a physical biopsy, but you can't always do a physical biopsy. Like Bob said, you can't get to certain tumors. Certain tumors are in multiple locations. We may not know where they are. And certain patients are too weak or compromised to withstand the biopsy procedure. So it's not one is never going to replace the other. They're going to be used together. And as Bob said, the, the techniques are going to get better and better. And yeah, false positives, false negatives. But wouldn't you rather have that and go in for more testing and be cleared than not have anything at all? And people are not going to make a big deal about getting a blood test, and they're not going to go in and have a live virus. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I, I'm excited that that some of the medical technologies that are coming out are really kind of more on, you know, less invasive and more. I don't know, more like man, like like positive for patient care. It's just, I don't know. I'm excited for it. I think it'll be great. So there's a there's actually a spinoff of this technology that, that's uh, being redeveloped right now. There were some issues a few years ago with some some uh, companies that remain unmentioned uh, that tried to invest. They got got billions of dollars in funding, um, and it turned out to be a scam. Uh, but what there's other companies nowadays that literally have point of care devices, which is, you know, a little thing sitting in like your printer, or, you know, sitting in your office and you put your finger in it and it, it does a real, like a, a diabetic would be checking for blood from a finger stick, but this is all ma- all automated. So nobody has to do it. That, that little stick when it, or, or something, <laughs> something called uh, uh, micro arrays, little tiny, tiny amounts of, of fluid uh, are put on a paper dot or in a tiny capillary tube, and then the machine stores the stores the uh, that that sample and then uh, stored cold, and then that that whole thing can be transferred to a lab, so you can actually have automated blood testing that doesn't require any clinical support. Um, I mean, literally, you just put your finger in the in the hole in this thing and it and it and it does that is that is kind of so game changing that you could just like walk into like a Walgreens or a CVS and just put your finger in and just get all this information. I think that that's amazing and I love where medical technology is going. I think it's I'm excited for it. Back to your original question about the temperature. Um, it, it depends on the test. Um, you know, whether it's just a simple blood test for some chemistries, whether it's a blood test that has to do with the circulating tumor cells, whether it has to do with a blood test potentially picking up, you know, looking for DNA and RNA changes and, you know, specific, you know, gene sequencing thing. Everything requires a different temperature for storage and transport uh, and then long-term, you know, long-term storage because it can be kept for for years. That's back to you know minus eighty or you know minus eighty or below. 
but not not the initial uh, receipt of the product and then the initial transport of the product. And every one of them has, you know, I mean, within the normal temperature ranges, but there there's a specific temperature range that these have to be kept at. And that's basically where we come in because we, with our uh, PCM space change material, can keep something at a specific temperature uh, based on obviously the insulating container that it, that, you know, that it's in for a, a significant period of time that allows storage and and local, you know, transport back to the main lab, which is which is the differential uh, that we have that nobody else has. So I guess what happens to these samples if like they, is the test, it could it potentially come back with a good inaccurate test result if it falls out of that temperature range? Like for example, someone who is not using your technology, they're just using a dry ice or something gets stuck or doesn't make it on a, on a cargo jet to make it over to the mainland or anywhere it needs to be in time. Is that when like that quality of that sample starts to decline in some of those? Um, no question. The degradation of the product. DNA and RNA are extremely sensitive. Bob referenced uh, whole blood and, and CBCs and chem screens. They're a refrigerated product. But if you put garbage in, garbage out, you don't take care of the sample, and it sits in a doctor's metal box outside of his office, and the guy doesn't come to pick it up and sits in 100 degrees, you can take those results and throw most of them out. And you certainly don't want to make a diagnosis based on improper results. But the DNA and RNA are even more sensitive to degradation. And if that happens, you're going to get more false negatives. I mean, if the, if the DNA is destroyed, you're not going to get a reading. You're looking for the DNA of the cells. The other piece in this um, is, obviously, with covid we spent a, a great deal of time transporting vaccines. Um, and, you know, the initial vaccines were minus 80, minus 80 degrees. And then, and then from the, the manufacturer to say the state health department and then transfer it out to the, you know, the variety of hospitals or, or Walgreens or CVSs. Uh, and then that they then ha- could be kept frozen, but not, not at my, you know, at minus 80 from a distance. It went to minus 21 for a while. Then it went to minus 16. Now, imagine you're talking about the United States where we have a fairly sophisticated medical field. Now let's take it to a third world country and moving a vaccine or getting a blood sample. Do you think they have ultra-cold freezes there? Do you think they have dry ice? So um, one of our expertise is we've worked with government agencies to deliver vaccines in third world countries. And and we always think in terms of the United States. Uh, we we uh, partnered with the second largest school district in the United States and did 80,000 COVID vaccines for their staff in a month or two. And they came to us and basically said, we have no idea how to do this. It's a piece of cake. Just how you do it. And, and, and it went really, really well. Did it not bother? It, it, it went great. In fact, they're still using the products to, to transfer food for lunches for the kids. Well, and they're starting to do children's vaccines, the rest of the vaccines. And they spent $100,000, if I remember right, and they 
replace all dryers and refrigeration and now are on year two or three using the same product. That's insane. That is so game changing for that. Like, I feel like the applications for that in like developing countries are just endless. Once they get the actual product, they can just, you know, continue to use it and literally endless opportunities. And, and don't think that the third world countries are the only ones. We've, we've done, we have relationships with the rural health nurses, you know, here in the U.S. because it's no different than the third world countries. You know, they, they have to go out to them. They have to deliver vaccines. They have to pick up blood specimens, you know, and it could be hundreds of miles, not just driving around the corner of CVS, you know, that, you know, that they're traveling, traveling each day. Uh, the other thing that's one of the not really on the topic today, but the vaccines are are migrating to different types of vaccine in vaccines and delivery systems. And one of the one of the, the very exciting uh, new vaccines are nasal vaccines for COVID and flu. Uh, I mean those you know those type of respiratory diseases because there's a better absorption. Uh, with something going through your nose than it is through, you know, an intra- intramuscular uh, uh, injection. Well, you get different types of immunity. You get uh, uh, an, a different type of immunity when on an, an muscle injection that you do on an intranasal. You get IgA on a nasal. So if you're trying to block a, refri- uh, a respiratory disease, you want to block it before it enters the lungs. Not You don't want to have a response after it enters the lungs. So that's what we use in my practice. We use nasal vaccines. Um, there's just a lot happening. If anything, COVID pushed the advances of medicine quicker and faster. And the, these these nasal vaccines, Mary, um, you know, you're aware that, you know, it was minus 21 to transport COVID vaccines, the regular ones. The, you cannot do that with the nasal vaccines because it will kill the vaccine. And so those need to be kept at uh, minus three to five or wh- you know, whatever is specific for that vaccine. So it's it's not even the same technology that was used to, to transport, and generally speaking. You know, we have whatever temperature you need, but you can't, it's not, one size doesn't fit all for, for what happened and what's happening. And similarly with the DNA test versus the liquid biopsy test, versus you know, everything has specific parameters. And the one fortunate thing that we can do is deliver those parameters. Well, I think what Bob's alluding to is that colder is not always better. You know, dry is minus 109.8 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 78.5 degrees Celsius. And you say, well, that's great. No, it's not. It destroys a lot of things. It depends on the product, what we're talking about. Yeah. As long as you kind of have those parameters, you know how to stay within them. And ultimately, everybody's pretty happy. You want to stay within the parameters and you want to make it easy for the people to use. If you make it difficult for the people to use, you'll find out that they won't use it or they won't use it properly. We currently produce a uh, a zero, which we use for two to, two to eight degrees centigrade or refrigerated. They do a minus seven, a minus 16, which is basically the same temperature as your, your residential freezer. And we do an ultra cold minus 21. Uh, and that pretty much covers everything we've ever needed to do. 
And the minus 21 does require special preparation. It's not going to freeze in a home refrigerator or freezer. Um, so we tend to tell uh, those institutions that want to do this, are you sure you meet minus 21? I would have to say, Bob, that 99% of the time I'm moving to minus 16 because they don't need minus 21. They, they thought colder is better, and, and it really isn't, and it's incrementally a, a lot harder to freeze it, keep it, you know, keep it frozen uh, than the minus six, the minus sixteen. So that's some, sort of the support things that I mentioned way in the be- you know the beginning that we offer. So we are running out of time, but there is a question that everybody comes on the show uh, that has to answer, and you didn't get it before, but you're going to get it this time. So, gentlemen, is cereal a soup? Soup is a liquid made by boiling. Uh, uh, meats and vegetables. So the answer is no. Cereal is not a soup. Okay. <laughs> Bob, where do you stand on the cereal uh, soup situation? That, I don't eat cereals, but I eat soup. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you guys heard it here first. If anyone wants to reach out to you about some cold storage stuff or, you know, breaking this down more, where can they find you outside the show? Yes, you can go to our website. Uh, on our website, we have it broken down to medicine, food, and law enforcement, um, but we also pride ourselves in answering people's questions. We spend a lot of time every day, even if we tell them the answer is we're not the right answer for you. Um, we've done this for too long, and we know what we're talking about, and we tend to guide them where they need to go, which is usually not where they start out looking. All right. Well, you guys are the you seem to have the answers for every one thing. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on Freightways TV, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more Running on Ice news? Subscribe to the newsletter on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. Until then, see you on the internet.